you can jump down. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the title of my message this morning is The Questionable Life. The Questionable Life. You know, something that in my Christian walk, in my Christian journey, um, that has challenged me, that has stressed me, is verses like verses in Matthew 28, 19, that says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, for me, growing up in church, it was sort of this idea that, that going out and making disciples was actually about going out. It was going out into the town and, and catching up and meeting people and, and telling them this story about who Jesus was and how they needed him. And, you know, I, I, the church that I grew up in spent most of my teenage years, they, they used to, um, every so often, normally in summer because in winter it was freezing, they'd go out into uh, a city square or a park or somewhere and they'd start preaching. And you'd go out there and there'd always be these guys, two or three guys, who were just pumped. They were like, they had backpacks full of Bibles, they had their Evangy cubes, they had their, you know, and they're like jumping and they're like, yes, I'm going to go and tell 300 people about Jesus and I'm going to be on fire and if they don't listen, I'm going to hit them with a Bible. Like, these guys who were just pumped, they loved it, they had this calling on their life. And then there were guys like me, who wasn't too happy to be out of bed that early in the morning, who wasn't too keen to be going around talking to people that didn't want to talk to me. And, you know, that was, you know... And we'd go out and we'd talk to people and we'd come back at the end of the day and do a debrief. And these guys who were pumped in the morning, they're still pumped. They're still jumping. They haven't lost an inch of energy. And they're like, it was awesome. I preached to 300 people and I gave out every single one of them a Bible. 50 of them said the Lord's Prayer. 50 of them are coming to church the next day. And then it'd go around the circle and it'd get to me and I'd be like, I talked to six people, had a three-hour lunch, and the last lady I spoke to hit me with her bag. And that's a true story. <laughs> so I just never had this calling on my life. Like, I believe that there is a mandate from heaven that as Christians we are supposed to go out and make disciples. But for me, I've never had this calling, I've never had this ability to go out into the town, into streets, and and interact with people that way. It's never been something I'm comfortable at. I'm a bit of an introvert. I don't really like doing it. Um, and it's just, it's just the thing that's not on me. But for some people it is. And, you know, in the last few months, I haven't really thought about it, but in the last few months, something that's really challenged me is making disciples. Maybe the, probably the last year is just, as a church, we've been talking about it, making disciples. And it's... You know, I've been challenged by that. Like, how do I go out and make disciples? What's the way for me? Someone who was uncomfortable going out onto the street and preaching these clear, bold messages and having hundreds of people come to church, it's never been something I've been called at. And just in about three months ago, my dad, just out of the blue, sent me a sermon by this guy called Michael Frost. And um, I wasn't expecting it. It had been something I'd been praying about. And he talks about this concept called the questionable life. And I wanted to take that and, and break some of it down for you this morning. I encourage you to go check out that message as well. But if you could open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. And this is Paul's letter to the Colossian church. 
And it says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open doors for our message, so that we may proclaim the mysteries of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, I love how Paul breaks this down. Is that There's an unspoken divide in these verses. Paul starts off by going and putting himself in this group of people who have a calling on their life to go out and preach bold, clear messages, whether it's in the local area, whether it might be international, whatever. But he's, there is a people that are called to go out and preach bold, clear messages about who Jesus is. And then it, gets, it stops at verse 4 and there's a full stop. And where I grew up in church, what I expect to happen in verse 5 would be Paul to go, and I'll be praying for you, that you would go out and preach a bold, clear message about who Jesus is. But he doesn't. Instead, he goes, look out for the people around you. Take every opportunity. Be really good at conversating. Be really good at answering questions. See... Paul is making a clear divide. There are people, including himself, that are out meant to go and preach these big, bold, clear messages that we'd be praying for them, that they have opportunities. But for the rest of us, the, the people like me who aren't called to go and do that, he's saying, be really good at answering questions. How are you? The way that you're going to make disciples is by living a lifestyle that is questionable by living a lifestyle that is curiosity-invoking, by living a lifestyle that, people are gonna, that is intriguing. See, as Christians, if we, if we, it's all good to say, yeah, I'm a Christian or, or have our Christian, but if we're, not, if we're living the same as everybody else, if we're having the same complaints, if we're having the same issues, if we're going about our life just doing everything the same as everybody else, that's not intriguing. That's not questionable. That's not going to build the church. That's not going to create disciples. I love in 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, and I've got it out of the King James Version. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I think, what, I think and I love that word, peculiar people. We're a people that God wants us to be a little bit weird. God wants us to be a little bit peculiar, a little bit questionable. You know, that we would be, a, you know, I'm not talking about weird like, you know, you pray out loud down the cereal aisle going, holy Jesus, should I get the high fiber or the high iron and let all these other people know that I'm a Christian too? No, not that sort of weird. But weird like you just stand out. There's something about you that makes you stand out above everybody else, that makes people go, who are you? And why do you do what you do? You know, when, when the Christian church took off in Rome, in the Roman Empire, when Christ, the Christian church started out, the culture of Rome was one that was violent. It was one that was immoral. It was one that was self-serving. Romans loved to do these decadent parties with weird food that sounds disgusting. I'm not even going to go into it. They... They loved watching people die on crosses. It was a show for them. 
They love watching people go into arenas and get eaten by animals or chop each other up. They, men had three women in their lives. They had a wife to bear them children and look after their household. They had a concubine for pleasure. And they had a mistress to be seen in public with. Pub, doing stuff in public, weird stuff in public, was totally acceptable in Rome. And then all of a sudden, Christians come along. The Christians start pouring out into the world, and they're completely different. It was, a, it was like a shock to the Roman, Roman culture. Christians come out who care for other people, who are feeding the poor, who are looking after the graves of people who aren't in their family who are healing the sick, who let anybody from anywhere, from any culture, from any religion, come in and eat with them. They shared their food. They shared their houses. They did hospice care. They did hospital care. They, men treated their wives with respect, treated them like they were their sisters. They only had one wife. Kids treated their parents with respect. They weren't just waiting for them to knock off so they could get their houses and stuff. This, this is what Romans... Roman kids were just like... They would leave and come back when their parents were dead. Like, that's what they did. Um, and this is... A, like, Christians was a culture shock for Rome. And Roman Empire, and Christians just took off and the Roman empires, emperors didn't know what to do with them. Some of the Roman emperors were dead set on killing all the Christians and wiping them out. Other Roman emperors took it upon themselves to out-charity the Christians... But when you've got an empire that's built on distrust and self-servingness, it didn't go very far. But here's a group of people that were so weird in Rome. No, the Christ, Roman emperors couldn't understand who these Christians were, why they did what they did. And, you know, it was a weird people. And God's, God's, I think God's calling us to be a weird people. A people that are a little bit questionable. People that are curiosity-invoking. And I feel like some of you might be looking at me right now and going, Luke, that's all good. That's all good, but it's easier said than done. And I totally agree with you. I totally agree that it is hard. I have had, I'll be the first person to admit that in my life I've had situations, I've had moments where I have not said that I'm a Christian, where I've not let on that I'm a Christian, where I've intentionally avoided saying anything to avoid social situations. I've had situations where either I was out with friends or at work with other people and they found out that I was a Christian and they were like, they didn't want anything to do with me anymore. They didn't want to talk to me. They didn't want to have... And You know, you lose friends. I've, I've, I've been in... When I started out on my ministry journey where... Um, when I started, it, when I moved to Australia and I started living here, there was times where um, I would go out with my friends on a Friday and Saturday night. A lot of my friends went out clubbing and drinking, and I used to go with them. And I didn't drink, I didn't, I didn't get drunk or anything like that, and I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong. But as I started stepping into ministry and I started my diploma, I felt God say to me, "Hey, I don't, I don't want you to do that anymore. I don't want you to go out." And I was like, "Why, God? I'm not doing anything wrong." And He goes, "I know." but you're encouraging the lifestyle. You're not representing me. And in that situation, I stopped. And for a long time, there was people that didn't talk to me, people that thought, oh, Luke won't hang out with us because he's a goody two-shoes. He doesn't. And 
I lost friends and there was people that didn't talk to me and I didn't get to see my friends and sometimes it felt lonely. It's hard. But I think about what God did for me. Coming out of Easter weekend, coming out of how to the nth degree it must have been hard for Jesus. And like when Jesus was was beaten and whipped and had his beard ripped off and carried that cross up a hill and and was nailed to that cross for the whole world to see, that he didn't stop and go, hey, there's this guy, Luke, who's going to live in 2,000 years that's going to reject me. He didn't stop and think, oh, I don't know if I can do this for this guy. And let alone me, 2,000 years, he's got his, one of his best friends, one of these guys that have been with him for three years, who denied him three times that day. And Jesus knew it was going to happen. And yet he still walked up that hill and died on that cross. He was unashamedly died for me. And when I think of that, when I think of what Jesus did for me, I can't help but want my life to screen Jesus. I want everything I do, every place I go, everywhere, I, everything who I am to scream Jesus. Because he died for me. He unashamedly got on a cross, was, went through a horrible death because he loved me. He looked at that guy and went, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to die for that guy. That guy who I love. That guy who is going to reject me. That sinner. That, that person who's going to let me down time and time again. And yet he still died for me. And because of what he did for me, I want my the, the very least I can do is have my life scream who he is. To live a life that's questionable. To live a life that's curiosity invoking. You know, Jono shared this morning, it's his breath in our lung. It's his life that saved me. It's his breath in my lung. Maybe those breaths should be made to shout out who he is. That's the very least I can do. You know, you might not have, you might have heard of this term. It's an internet term called clickbait. I don't know. You might have heard of it. Basically, what clickbait is, it's it's exciting headlines or pictures or or things that people use to get you to click on their ads. You know, I, I watched a. There was a video on Facebook last on YouTube last night that had a guy who was on like a cooking show and he cut his hand. And instead of going like, video, I cut my hand, he did a video, the title of the video was like, I cut my hand off, blood, mayhem, hospital. And you can't help, you read those titles and you can't help but click on them. These, these titles that take a little bit of the truth and they stretch it just enough to make it exciting. And I'm not saying let's take the truth, but let's be clickbait for Jesus. Yeah. Let's be so exciting and so interesting. And so, you know, he died for us. So let's represent him. Let's be the people that are so intriguing, that are so exciting that we can't help but click on those ads. You know, a a verse that, that Paul wrote a letter to Timothy and it's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And I love what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, he has saved us and called us into his holy life. 
not because of anything we have done, but because of of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You know, I read that and I love Paul is just so gentle. Like he, he doesn't he doesn't ring Timothy out or anything like that. He just goes, Hey Tim, don't be don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of what God did for you. That a God who died on the cross for you. And Paul's in prison and he's writing this. Paul's the last person that should be going, hey, don't be ashamed. Like, I'm in prison, man. Come on, get your act together. But no, Paul's just like, don't be ashamed. Rather, join me in suffering. Paul's in prison and he's going, join me in suffering. I'm doing this. And I want, dude, I'm going to encourage you to come along. Because Jesus suffered. I think Paul knew this so well. Paul had this incredible grasp on the suffering that Jesus went through, and he unashamedly encouraged every person around him to live lives for Jesus, to live lives that represent the God that died for us. The least we can do is live lives for him. The least we can do is be a questionable people. But you see, there's a key to this. There's a key that that Paul also understood so well. And the very first line in Colossians 4.2, he says, devote yourself to prayer. Because Paul understood that the key to living a questionable life, the key to preaching who Jesus is, it doesn't matter which side of that you fall on, you need to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. You can't preach, you can't live something that you don't know. That if I want to go and represent Jesus, I have to know who he is. I have to know what he's about, what he says I'm about, what he wants for me. You know, Paul, Paul wrote, devote yourself to prayer. And what, what that can be taken to is devote yourself to a conversation with Jesus. Devote yourself to knowing who he is and what he says about you. Devote yourselves to having a real and meaningful, a real meaningful, intimate relationship with Jesus. Because when Jesus comes in, he does something. He changes you. He puts new life in you. And you can't go back to being the same as, as you were before. You know, there's a change that happens that, that, that changes you. There's a change that happens. You know, I look back in my life, in the changes that happened to me, the way I've seen people the way that I was unable of seeing them. I've loved people who I didn't have a capacity to love. I've done things for people out of, thing, out of a capacity that I didn't have any more to give. Because the truth of living a questionable lifestyle, the, the truth of living a curiosity-invoking lifestyle is that you have to be changed by Jesus. You have to have it, Jesus come in and impact your life in a way that you can't, that you don't understand. Because when you have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to have your kids are going to be the kids that respect you. You're going to be a person that helps other people. You're going to be a person that knows your neighbors' names. You're going to be a person that that sees people and sees situations, and you do things that you didn't know you were able to do, because Jesus is going to guide your steps. He's going to go, hey, I need you to do this for me. I need you to touch this person's life. I, need you, I want you to see this person this way. I want you to do something. And people aren't going to be able to help themselves but ask questions. It's time for us to become clickbait for Jesus. It's time for us to step out and, and represent a God who loves us, a God who died for us. 
In Matthew 5, 14 and 15, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. When Jesus comes into our lives, when he changes us, he makes us the light of the world. He makes us a town on a hill. He lights the candle that is going to light up the house. You know, it's so easy that we live in a culture that encourages us to fit in, encourages us to have the right house and the right car and live the lives that everyone tells us to live. You know, I I watch the kids at youth that are so stuck in social media because they risk the chance of missing out if they get off. They They have this, if they don't fit in, if they don't know the right meme, the right whatever slogan, whatever picture is going on, if they're not following it, if they're not liking it, if they're not part of it, they're instantly cut off. They're instantly not in the group. We are striving constantly to be be a people that fit in, be a people. We don't want to, it's hard to be questionable. But I think Jesus is going, it's time to come out from under the bowl and light up the house. It's time to stop hiding away. It's time to stop fitting in. It's time to stop being like everyone else and come out of that bowl and light up the house. It's time to be a light for the world. It's time to be a mountain on a hill. It's time to be questionable. It's time to be curiosity invoking. It's time to be a people that represent Jesus in our everyday life. Not just because I say I'm a Christian, not just because my Facebook status is a Christian. You know, when I preached last time, I had a video play and one of the lines from that video was, stop putting on a fake look because there's a problem if people only know you're a Christian by your Facebook. I don't want to be a Facebook Christian. I don't want to be a, a person that just goes around and says I'm a Christian, but then live a life that doesn't represent Jesus. If my God can unashamedly get up on a hill and a cross and die for me, then the very least I can do is live a life that represents him. That my everyday life would scream Jesus. That my everyday life would be a life that that represents him. I want to be a person that comes out from under the bowl. I don't want to be hidden away anymore. I don't want to be I want to be known for my acts. The, the, what Jono talked about this morning about, about um, being a people of faith, I want to be known as a person of faith. I want my faith, I want to be, it's time to start believing again. Belief isn't, isn't just a Sunday. It isn't just a Facebook status. It isn't just saying I'm a Christian. It's those little acts, everyday people living everyday lives for Jesus. I want to be an everyday person that lives an everyday life for Jesus. That just in my everyday, in my, in my moments where I'm not being watched, in my moments where I'm just at the shops or I'm just in the crowd or I'm just, I want to be, I want to be someone that stands out as a light for Jesus. That I want to be a person that people go, what is it about you? What is it about you that makes you this way? What is it about you that you can go through a struggle and yet come out with your head held high? What is it that when you have no money, yet you're still the most generous person? What is it about you that, that your kids respect you? 
What is it about you that, that makes your family represent this lifestyle? What is it about you that makes you help people? What is it about you that you know your neighbors? What is it about you? You know, as, as I come to a close and the band can come back, I want to I challenge you this morning, but also I, wanna, I also want to challenge myself. Is let's be a people who unashamedly live our lives for Jesus. Let's be a people who unashamedly live lives that represent Jesus, not just on a Sunday, not just in what we say, not just on our Facebook, but a people that live lives that represent Jesus. People that live questionable, curiosity-invoking lives. That, and not just lives that invoke curiosity, but we would be ready to answer those questions because they're going to come. When Jesus comes into your life and he changes you, those questions are coming. People are going to go, who you, they want to know who you are and why you live the way you live. I want to be a person that represents Jesus. Let's be a people who come out of the bowl and light up the house. Let's be a people who when, when the questions come, we know our God so well that we have a clear, grace-filled answer for who He is. Let's live questionable lives. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are a God that is so unashamedly in love with us. That when we let you down, that when we fail, when we go through challenges, when we ignore who you are, God, that you are a God who loves us, who believes in us, who cares for us. And God, I pray right now that we would be a church who know who you are and who you say that we are. We will be a church that pursue that devote ourselves to pursuing a real, intimate relationship with you. And God, that we would be a church that represent you in our everyday lives. That we would be everyday Christians living an everyday life for you. A life that is questionable. A life that is curiosity invoking. And God, that we would know you so well that we would have the answers to those questions. God, I just pray right now that we would just, we would start believing again that we would live lives that scream faith, that scream of people who are on fire for you because they know what you've done for us, because we know what you've done for us and what you're going to do for us and that you care for us and that you're going to come through in every situation, that you are a God that is good, that you are a God that never lets us down. And God, that in knowing that, that we would live questionable, curiosity-invoking lives for you, that we would live lives that represent you every day. And I thank you for this in your heavenly name. Amen.